0: Hello friends, this is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Meh. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks and enjoy the episode.
1: I feel like uh james like went straight into interview mode then before we've even started <laughs> yeah. you're, like a like nat- you're
2: like a natural war james <laughs> <laughs> can't stop mm.
1: Hello and welcome to another super special episode of the Emo Dad podcast. My name is Matt.
0: My name is James.
1: And today we are joined by the awesome multi-platinum Grammy-nominated record producer, audio engineer, mixing engineer and songwriter Matt Squire. He has credits that include bands such as Underoath, the debut album by Panic at the Disco, Ariana Grande, All Time Low, Selena Gomez, Kesha, One Direction, Simple Plan, Sum Forty One. Oh, uh, there's more. Good Charlotte, <laughs> <laughs> the Used. I'm reading them. Selena Gomez, and he. Uh, we had a super awesome chat with him. So before we go into our interview, here is the wonderful song. The Great Escape by Boys Like Girls, produced by Matt Squire. Enjoy. Matt Squire, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us on the Emo Dad podcast. How are you doing today? My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Great to be here. It's nice to hang with you guys. And we've uh, we've just been chatting before we started. You're in LA at the moment. Is that right? I'm in LA right now, yeah. Nice. That, that looks
0: like a hotel room. Yep. Or if I just massively offended you because you're in your house. <laughs> oh no, no,
2: I don't live in LA. I'm, I'm okay. from BC. Oh
0: uh, yeah, that's what that's what we figured. Yeah, but you split your time between the two, right? Or you lived so, in LA for a while?
2: Yeah, it's weird. Like uh, I lived in LA for from like 2008 to 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, both my wife and I are from D.C. We have three daughters. Like we wanted to raise them back <laughs> there. Our families are there and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So totally. we moved back in 2016. And um, every once in a while I come out here and I'll do like writing sessions. So okay. I was out here in August and I did five sessions and I was like, wow, it was really fun. And then I was like, I really want to do that again. And as the year gets later, it gets less feasible okay. um, for for so many different reasons. But I was just like, I better just get another trip in. So I came right back out here and uh, I've been here since Monday or Sunday rather. And um, then I'll leave Saturday to go back to DC and
1: probably be my last
2: trip of the year, I'm not sure
1: nice nice good nice how's the weather over there at the moment it's been good
2: you know it's nice here
1: it's always nice (laughs)
2: yeah weather's good you know it's it's a little hazy but i would never complain about the weather here
1: (laughs) so we uh we wanted to start by going right back to your early days um, of music and hit you with a a question straight away. What's your earliest memory of music? Can you remember? So, good question. Um,
2: I remember being like, probably like, must've been like three or four, like young. And my big brother would play me the radio off of a clock radio it was brown and it had a red digital it's probably early digital clock and that's where i learned about am and fm nice am if you press that button, everybody was talking but if you put fm on then all this great stuff came out So you were mixing age four. (laughs) (laughs) Or my big brother was. That part I don't remember. I can't take credit for moving the button. That could have been Jamie.
1: And uh, can you remember what kind of, what were the first kind of bands and sort of heavier music that you, that you got into and how did you discover that? Was that from your brother as well? Definitely my brother. I have older cousins as well. And so
2: the, like the original stuff that I was into it, I mean, it all came from them, their taste. but original stuff I was into was classic rock, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that was also the era of like shred records. So that technically was heavy, but that's not why I was listening to, to that stuff. I was listening for like skill and stuff like that. But then um, when I heard the clash, uh, I was probably like 11, 10 or 11. I heard The Clash, and that changed everything. I was just like, that's so cool. Like, it just sounded so cool to me. They just sounded sounded real in this weird way. Um, and that sort of opened my, my uh, thinking into like just some other stuff and, and some more punk rock stuff. So it was very traditional. It was like clashing Pistols. And then I very quickly realized that I live in D.C., <laughs> and that there was this amazing punk rock community like right in town I had no idea it existed and and from that moment on I was just hooked I was just like oh my god like the record store right down the street from where I grew up was called Yesterday and Today Records and it was vinyl and it was like that's where I bought my first Dag Nasty album you know and just whatever but the owner of that record store was the guy who funded all the early Discord records, this guy Skip Groft. Uh-huh. And um, what he was doing is he would pay Inner Ear Studios for like Minor Threat to go in. And then the dudes and ladies from the bands would work a Yesterday and Today Records to work off the advance. So like I was able to go in as a 12 year old kid and like buy the salad day seven inch the minor threat salad day seven inch i bought it from ian and he's i had a sid vicious shirt on and he spoke to me for an hour just this little kid and i was like this dude's like the coolest dude on earth like oh my god like he just spent so much time like talking to some rando kid you know it was really really cool so the uh i was i was into punk from there in terms of heavier music like actually getting into to to metal and stuff like that i don't i don't know if i was really into metal until ken olden until i met ken you know ken was like our our local hero and like the just the coolest dude and such amazing guitar player and i knew he had been in far cry i knew uh todd's little sister um was one of my good friends and i just knew of him and and i had met then met mcturnan so it was like through that crew they were really into much heavier stuff that was the that's when i got into master of puppets that's when i got
1: into like heavy stuff like actual metal stuff
2: but punk was uh was my cousins in the clash
1: nice and um so I mean, you were in a lot of bands um, in the early days. How, do you know how many bands were you in? <laughs> this is, there's, there's a lot online if we uh, when I done my research. It's a good question. You know, I, like I was, but like some of that stuff
2: was like short lived. Like I was in Battery for like a matter of days. You know what I mean? Like I played well on a, seven, I played on a seven inch. And then they wanted me to. They wanted as a guitar player. And then they wanted me to switch to drums. And I was really intimidated by the the beat. You know, like the old hardcore beat that like like it didn't always it didn't always count right in my head. To be completely honest, like I didn't like fully like grasp it, and I wasn't fully into doing that on drums. So I turned that down and they went to europe and i think they got zach at that time or something like that it's a a little bit blurry or maybe that's when ben i can't remember but the um the uh some of those bands like i was not in for very long ashes (laughs) was really the band you know that that i was in as as a member of the hardcore scene and like where we really played a ton of shows and met all these amazing people and had all these amazing experiences
1: amazing and um so you're in that band um with brian the who we've interviewed on this podcast before um and he mentioned this might be um skipping on a little bit but he mentioned that you're always interested in pop um when brian was listening to more hardcore stuff and uh it, you know, that those guys would be listening to hardcore, and you'd be listening to things like Prince. Is that a memory that you can remember?
2: Yeah, it was, and um, and and that was fun. You know what I mean? And I think I think what was great about being a member of the hardcore scene was that 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 was totally cool. You know yeah. what I mean? I was I was listening to some stuff that nobody else was listening to some friends of mine were listening to some stuff that I would that I just hadn't gotten to yet or whatever and and everybody was bringing in different um tastes and 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 things to it and and I think I think that's when um we really started to see exciting things happen like you know when Refused came out with 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 Shape it was just like what is going on? This is dope. you know what I mean? like it just felt cool and it felt like they had broken about 16 different rules and it sounded amazing. And so you know that that's definitely true. I was really into production too. and I was really studying like the prince obsession, my prince thing was actually a production um, education more than anything else because he self-produced.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and my feeling at that time when I was learning how to produce because I I've been recording bands since the beginning since like I got my first four track when I was like nine wow (laughs) like like I was really obsessed with like the engineering production side and I my feeling when I was a kid was that producers the best producers were like the self-producers like Jimmy Page like Led sure. Zeppelin was produced by the band. Nine Inch Nails, Trent, you know what I mean? Prince. Like, and I was like, I wanted, I want their tricks, not necessarily the like other producer in the room tricks. Right. So that's where a lot of that stuff came from. Is I was always looking at the sonics of like, man, how do they do that? That's like incredible. Um, but yeah, very much true. I, I was, I was more into hardcore and into the scene and into the community and 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 part of it more than i was listening to it to be fair
1: that's fair enough um so we would like to play a song maybe from a band that was influential on you during your you know your childhood or your um your teens is there any band that sticks out that that you feel kind of inspired you onto your your journey in music so teens
2: i was really teens i was really into grunge you know what i mean sure. um like early 90s grunge and stuff like that uh we all were we were all super into like alice in chains and soundgarden and stuff like that um but uh yeah i mean in terms of uh punk rock stuff like when I look back, like the most biggest influence on me ever is Fugazi. So if you have anything at the ready that 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 resonates like Fugazi or Soul Side, like that part of the like when the DC scene really like turned into like the older crew and like started using SGs exclusively and like that whole time period was like that's the stuff that I still listen to and that is like near and dear.
1: Yeah, we can play Fugazi. Any uh any favorites from Fugazi?
2: I mean, I really like Waiting Room. I really like Song Number 1. I you know, I, I repeated the whole album like the, take your pick. There's take not pick. much. <laughs> the very first like show I went to was like a Fugazi show in DuPont Circle. Like It's just like, that band is just so awesome.
1: Nice. Well, let's listen to Waiting Room by Fugazi.
0: So, you're, so you mentioned you got your first 8-track. Did you say when you were 9? Got a
2: 4-track. They didn't four-track. have an 8-track yet.
0: Sorry. My, mis- no, my mistake. Fine, Those extra I... tracks would have been awesome. <laughs> no, I
2: did because I also got the first eight track that was on hey. that that was a couple years later they they just hadn't made that yet that was a new product oh, um wow. so i got a four track it was a ross four by four mm-hmm. and uh we got it at a guitar center for a couple hundred bucks and um and it was it's cool like like i had no clue what i was doing my guitar <laughs> teacher gave me like a couple of tips and i was just like but it was so such a fascinating piece of gear. You could just you could just do so much cool stuff with it, and and I tried all that stuff, like flipping it around and making something go backwards, and like what they called ping pong recording, which is like you do the drums and the bass, and then oh no, you're out of tracks, so then you have to like play the drums and the bass in a speaker and play guitar over <laughs> it, and then it all goes yeah. to track four
0: yeah i used to do that yeah yeah good times right (laughs) and then you're like
2: completely degraded right and then you have play the vocals and and it's like that's how they made beatles records and stuff like
0: that that's what they did yeah yeah that's that's right
2: crazy they just did it really well but like that's what they did so um but yeah i did all that stuff and then i did get an eight track and that was i had like the only rig like that in town there was there was mine, which was cassette eight, and then there were like studios like Upland that had like a proper, you know, okay. real, real eight track. But mine was cassette. It was awesome. It was like a Tascam thing, and mm-hmm. it, it really gave us the ability to like do something different and record our own stuff. And then all of the, our friends bands that came through, like when Split Splitland would come through or Lincoln would come through. I'd record them in my basement. We'd let them stay at my at my house, and I'd record them in my basement. And that actually, that location ended up becoming Brian's first studio as well. Um, and so it's there's a lot of history just in my mom's basement. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, amazing. Um, so when. So you're recording all these bands that are coming through. Is there a moment when you feel like, okay, this is what I'd rather do than play in a band.
2: So that didn't come till later. I actually, okay. I actually abandoned it around 18. Okay. Um, I stopped recording. I went to college. I still in bands. Ashes was still together. And then Brian and I formed another band called Milltown
0: mm.
2: while I was in college, but I wasn't recording. And I, uh-huh. I, uh, had sort of made a conscious decision just not to for a while and then I got back in years later um, and still had not decided hey this is what I want to do but I had been recording my own band this is like way later in Boston right so it's okay. like went to college in Boston was in bands the whole time and around age 23 24 whatever band I was in at that time i started recording my stuff against my first computer rig and it was like cakewalk or something like that and i was like wow that's cool like all this technology and whatever and so i just started again and then um a friend of mine in boston uh in a band called the cancer conspiracy like on some drunk night was like you got to record my band. And I was like, <laughs> you're crazy. I love your band. I would never disservice you like that. You know what you're talking about? And then he was like, no, it's got to be you. I was like, okay, you know, I'll try, I'll charge you a hundred dollars a song. Cause I just don't want to like mess up, you know, and uh, let's experiment together. Cause I was just learning the computer. You know what I mean? I hadn't incorporated that tool in such a different world. And so we recorded that on Pro Tools and um, came out on Big Wheel Recreation. And then like from there, very quickly, I was like recording the explosion in Boston. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, that was weird. Then Brian had me come down to DC to assist him on a couple of stuff, on a couple of records. And then I opened a room when I moved down to DC and that's where I did Panic. And it was, it was really fast. Like it all yeah. happened really, really quickly. And so I never... I still haven't decided to be a producer. <laughs> still not sure if that's what I'm supposed to be. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, I, I also have no idea what I want to be when I grow up.
2: I, it's a weird thing. That's still in my head. I swear to God, I'm like 17 in there. I'm just going like, is this what, is that what I'm supposed to do with my life? I don't know. Yeah, I, still yeah,
0: have no
2: ta- yeah. I still have no tattoos, just in case. <laughs>
0: Still just get a job. Yeah, just in case I need to get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> kid, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, I hear that strongly. <laughs> um, because our podcast is called Emo Dad, we often ask everyone um when they first heard that word emo and what it kind of meant to them.
2: Mm. Wow, that is interesting because it is funny, and I haven't really thought about it much uh, lately. Is that that term really evolved, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, because you know it's weird because it's it's associated with stuff like um, ashes. You know what I mean? The yeah. um, the so I I. Th- I mean, I think I first heard that term in hardcore circles. I mean, I really, I remember distinctly like Ash's music being called emo music and then promise ring and all the jade tree stuff was definitely called emo music, you know? So I, I think really rooted out of out of the hardcore scene there there was an article about it recently i can't remember what it was but there was an article and it had a few albums in it and it was like this like it was like too good to be true because ashes was mentioned and so was fugazi and i was like oh my god (laughs) really blown away by that i was really really humbled uh but yeah that was the origins of emo
0: um article or something like that Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that was that was probably where we first encountered it as well when things were slowly making their way to the side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just um, Brazil,
2: Jade Tree, like that's sure. when that's when the hair start. That's like everything. The original, you know.
0: But then I guess that the the explosion of emo was that kind of. Um, actually before we go on to that just reading my notes want to be professional let's um let's play let's play let's play a song do you is there a song from that kind of period before panic of maybe something you produced that you're still quite fond of or or would sum it up
2: yeah you know there's there's um a band called the receiving end of sirens uh, was the full length that I did right before panic. Okay. And I've always been fond of it. Um, you know, like there, there's just something about that album that was like, felt really epic and felt like really, you know, big. So yeah, maybe um, something right. from the trios Planning a prison break or something like that
0: okay cool we'll um we'll drop that in here (laughs) awesome
2: great guys too boston guys so much fun so
1: then um panic at the disco happened which i i'm gonna make an assumption and say that was probably quite a big deal for you at the time or maybe maybe not at the time but after it happened um so we're looking at uh well it came out in 2005 the for people that don't know and to be honest if people are listening and they don't know this then they're probably listening to the wrong podcast um but panic at the disco debut album a fever that can't sweat out um listening back to it which i do regularly um i mean the album for want of a better word is just nuts it's bonkers um with so many styles and that's just you know in in individual songs um how much of the album was ready when when the guys came to you and and how much was it kind of written in in the studio or or what's that process like
2: so great question and and you know we did we actually we were flying by the seat of our pants. Like we we didn't know there was going to be a big record. Like I knew I really loved it. You know what I mean? Like, like I, the demos were sent to me. I got like three songs, two or three songs by Crush Management. And I was like, This is awesome. You know what I mean? Like just being like, wow, this is really cool. Like, you know, I just loved his voice and just loved what they're doing. So really um really, really cool. But the, uh, the um, album, I would say, was about half written, when they got to the studio, they had maybe five or six finished songs. And then they had these starts, you know, these like beats or riffs um, that they thought we could pull from and so we spent about a week in pre-production taking some of those um, starts and turning them into full songs and then also trying to design like um, like a cohesive album around the material uh, you know a theme, that we could design everything around and base everything on. So a lot that was discussed during the first week, week and a half um, was how do we finish these songs and how do they all fit together? The guys did not want to just be um, Fall Out Boy with, with beats. That's what uh, I, if, if I'm being, if I'm remembering it correctly, and I don't want to mischaracterize anything. I believe that that's, that was of concern for the band. You know, they, they really, they were just signed by Fall Out Boy. They love Fall Out Boy. They're super grateful, you know, to be a part of the community. They just didn't want to sound exactly like that. You know what I mean? So, how do we do that was a big, was, was a factor in a lot of the conversations um i turned them on to jellyfish you know jellyfish uh spilt milk
0: i don't know great if i record. do
2: you should check it out yeah. great record it's very like queen beetles it was not like a huge industry success they could have been more successful but it didn't mm-hmm. end up working out but the record the second album is produced in this just like immaculate way and everything is like just well done but it's all very retro but it's like good versions of retro and there's like these vocal choirs that sound like freddie mercury it's just it's an amazing record and so i was like check this out you know like this is where i go when i'm looking for like production inspiration like because there's so many ideas on here and so that factored and that brought in some of the beatles-esque things that became more panics thing which was there's like a 60s-ish 70s-ish thing to this that tilts it away from just being like in this scene or that scene so that was a lot of the discussion but the songs I'd say they were about half done and we did about half in, in
1: pre-production so um I'm just trying to imagine like them all sitting around writing songs and things so would there would there be occasions where stuff would get scrapped purely because it sounded like fallout boy or another band or thought no too close let's try something else let's go off a bit more of a tangent or something
2: there were moments like that there are moments like that on every record though
1: you know what i mean to be
2: fair like that's part of the process is like hey you know this is awesome but it sounds too much like this and it's totally healthy to do that. Like the panics, actually a great example. And it's something I've talked about before, like the strings in the beginning of sins, Ryan wrote on guitar. And it was like him being like, you know, like when you're sitting around and you're playing metal, you know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to put metal in your song or in your band or whatever, but Ryan was always playing that that riff half tongue-in-cheek like you know just sitting on guitar like playing metal you know what i mean and then it became an idea right but it was like well i'm not going to play that on guitar in this band like that's not happening and then it quickly became like a hey what if it was pizzicano strings and then it's like boom right that Mm -hmm. opened up the whole thing so, you know, there's always part of the process of being like, dude, that sounds way too much like blah, you know, and I think it's healthy because like my big thing, what I think makes bands awesome is having a very, very clear, but very, very focused identity where you just go, okay, well, it's glock and spiel over indie rock drums, like. That's probably panic. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like yeah, for sure.
2: It's just we we did that, and not many people had done that yet, and so it was kind of like, okay, that's a signature, and I love that. And so when we brought it into that orchestral
1: thing, it became not metal; it became panic. When you when you were recording all those kind of more uh, unusual, unique aspects of that record. Was there any point where you or the band were kind of thinking, are we, are we pushing our luck a little bit here? <laughs> Every single time. Good. And you liked I mean, that? <laughs> we didn't care because we, yeah, thought, good.
2: we thought, like, Fall Out Boy, it was just timing, right? right. Fall Out Boy had just sold 200,000 records and everybody in our scene, everyone in Absolute Punk, like, our whole world was like, you could sell that many records like, Oh my God. And so I remember our (laughs) expectation just being like, like, what if we could sell 10,000 records? That was like the panic conversation, me and the guys like, Oh my God, that'll be amazing. And I can remember getting the first week sales and Spencer calling me being like, dude, we sold 10,000 records. And I'm like in a week. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh man yeah we just we didn't care we were just making music for fun we 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 didn't know what we were
1: doing and and that was part of the time and uh and i mean you probably know this but even just on spotify um i write sins not Tragedies" is on almost 600 million plays (laughs) it's not bad (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing and look you know for
2: me like it has been a surreal year 2021 it has been really really crazy and really really i'm just so grateful for it and it's it's actually on a personal level because like now my kids like some of my songs some of my older work and um it's 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 such a blessing for them to be like now since it's on the radio again and they'll be like oh that that's my dad you know produced that and like you know all time low dear maria callian was like huge on tiktok and they get to go oh, you know my dad produced that for for my um kids to be able to hear some of this stuff and celebrate some of this stuff personally it was just like so cool uh so yeah it's a it's a crazy thing 303 also got popularized to get on tiktok just like awesome it's all coming
0: it, back and um, are you on tiktok
2: <laughs> so if there is a matt Squire on tiktok it's because my daughter ruby my youngest is really into tiktok and i think she made an account in my
1: name <laughs> <laughs> she's just uploading videos of her dancing or something your songs she, yeah mostly to not my songs
2: but yes you know she's <laughs> really into TikTok. she's seven uh all three of my girls are into it but um i think she made an account in my name but yeah i'm not on it i'd like to be I, I i have a discord you know i have like a instagram twitter like i have all that stuff and i really like all that stuff so TikTok, i'm into i just haven't
1: i haven't tackled that one yet um one just last question on the on the panic album the the stylistic split of the album was very unique and very cool um was that always gonna be the plan or is that just something that evolved during the process
2: so that was like uh during that first week was okay. like <laughs> was like the like the guys were wanting to just do the newer newer stuff on the album and like they, they wanted it to be really stylized away from some of the demos that had actually gotten them signed. And so I was faced with this challenge of like, how do we keep those songs? Because the label, I, I spoke to the label and management every single day on Panic, which is very weird, very unique, especially for an indie record. And... Um, we just got into a conversation it just became like a daily dialogue and you know label and management was very concerned they wanted to know those original songs on there so i'm like had i raised the point with the guys you know and we were had this discussion about like how do we how do we tell that story you know like like maybe we can just tell that story and the first half of the record will be more like pop punk, you know, or whatever. And then there will be an intermission and there will be an evolution. And then the last half of the record will be more thematic and will have more of these 60s things to it. And that the whole thing will tell a story. And so that's what we tried to do was have it be a much more electronic, city feeling Vegas feeling in the front and then there's like a giant explosion, you know, in the intermission basically. And then all these orchestral instruments start getting factored into the music more heavily in the second half. Um, that was the loose plan. Um, mm-hmm. So it was kind of kind of dreamt up during pre-production. If I'm being frank and looking back in hindsight from a problem solving perspective, it was really like, how do we how do we do this? How do we tell this story and have it be credible? It's fascinating to look back at that because we were really thinking about an album, and not everybody thinks like that anymore. And uh, mm. it it was really important to us that it it all felt like a start to finish, you know,
1: album story or whatever. I remember when it came out that that for me personally that was the big thing the kind of um, almost side A side B aspect to the album and that was kind of what caught a lot of people off guard. It but in a good way. It was like holy shit, this is you know talking to your friends is like have you heard what they've done with this like two split albums? Um, it was really cool. Really really enjoyed it. So it was and tragic. still still enjoy it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because we didn't know if anybody would like care about that so it's cool to hear that it, it resonated with you it's awesome yeah yeah um so we should play a song from the album have you got any favorites um from that album you know it's weird like
2: i mean i think relax relapse really really good um you know just just it just has stuck in my head over the years, you know? So that, that's a good one. Okay. Am I, am I saying the title correctly? I still don't know the titles. Of the song you you title.
1: probably using the working titles because, uh, that's what they are. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what, which, which
0: song is that?
1: Can't take the kid from the fall, take the fall from the kid. Um, hold on, I'll tell you in a second. This is the, uh, this is a problem we have with, um, all the producers that we've chatted to so far is they only know the working titles of songs actually <laughs> this one because then they went
2: uh it looks like camisado okay brilliant just one so of the, the shorter titles because they went and made the title so long that i was like
0: come on how am i that supposed was- to
2: remember <laughs> the only difference between blah 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 it's like come on <laughs>
0: Yeah, but that was really trendy, right? If you look at the Fallout Boy, the length of the titles on their first few records, insane. Like they were like It, it, it
2: was it was part of that world. And yeah. and it looked amazing. And it was something different, you know, right. at least it like set them apart and stuff like yeah. that. But it was it was hard for me to it's still hard for me to identify
1: <laughs> things with anything, but there were no. Okay, so this is uh Camisado by Panic at the disco.
0: Um so as as we mentioned, that kind of this is the time when i don't know i think the nerds call it third wave emo um gets massive and this is when everyone's blowing up and you've got um those kind of those big tours and it's all on MTV and everyone's got their haircuts and the skinny jeans and the studded belts and hot topic and the whole thing. we did you feel like you were on the inside of all of that or was it something that you were seeing from the outside or had you already moved on to other things it's a really
2: good question you know uh i felt like i had one foot in and one foot out okay if i'm being honest um there's there was a lot of me that was just so grateful to be a part of anything i mean i i assumed i would like be a musician like with like you know like live on a futon like i did for so many years you know what i mean pay no rent like i just assumed that's what being a musician was and that i would at a certain point go get a job in psychology that was my life plan you know what i mean so i was like super grateful you know that anything like this could have ever happened. I was like, this is just amazing. Like such a blessing to be a part of it. And then of course, you know, I wanna repeat it. Like, I'm like, okay, well now I, the yeah. door is open. I'm not gonna walk back through it. You know what I mean? I'm gonna <laughs> like see what else is here. And and that started me on a, on a very long journey, which I feel like I'm still on, which is like a journey of just education of just like, I'm fascinated by by like music and, and how powerful, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm just a student of that ever since. I'm just like, wow, oh my god, like I had no idea that anything that I am a part of could ever be that impactful and that like grand. You know what I mean? So it it definitely like changed my life. Um but uh I never felt like like there were other people Feel by Ramen, Crush, Panic, other bands. There were other people in that scene that were able to evolve it into like fide music business currency okay. more than me. And I didn't know whether that was good, bad, ugly, no judgment, but there were definitely people who had two feet in, you know? Mm. And I always felt like I had one foot in for whatever reason. And I I don't know if that's just me, you know, or if it was also cuz I wanted to explore other styles of music or what it was, but that's how I felt.
0: Um okay. Yeah, I can see how that makes a lot of sense. And so is that like so be- but kind of before, I guess before you moved on to um what I'm very excited to talk about is sort of the pop stuff later on. You still made a couple of like um, quite major kind of records within that scene. So we talked about, you know, like All Time lows, So Wrong It's Right. And then um, a record that I think Matt wants to talk about, which is um, the used artwork record.
1: Yeah, so that, um, that album, I'm quite a big fan of this band. And I find this really interesting because that was the first album they did without uh, John Feldman. They had a new drummer, uh, new management, and um, I've heard Bert say on uh, various podcasts that he's a bit of a nightmare to work with. (laughs) Um, How did did you find working... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, How did you find uh, working with him and the band at that time where so much was changing within the band um, on the album artwork?
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that that was like a a goal for me was to work with 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 the used and to work with bands of that caliber. And you know, it was it was until then I had worked with bands where I had really been there at the beginning, kind of, you know, and we had all sort of evolved it together. You know, the used was well established and, you know, so that was really, really fun for me. Um, you know, I didn't I I didn't find that there was like a ton of like drama or, you know, nightmare. Like it was more just um, a lot of problem solving again, which is how do we celebrate who we are, who we were, and also do what we want to do, which is have, you know, contemporary massive, success um you know it's always tough for a band like that to balance those elements of like we are who we are we never want to lose sight of that but we also want to get more ambitious every album and so it's fun to to try and tackle that um you know the the way i always look at stuff like that is you know there's two real buckets right you've got your fundamentals which is like you better have some memorable vocals and lyrics and some stuff. Like you have to have something to say. Right. And then you have to innovate. Right. So like, like when I heard Quinn play the empty with you loop, Mm -hmm. it was some, I still don't even remember what pedal he was using, but he had it. I mean, he came in and he had the pedal and he played it. And I was just like, that's it. You know, people hear that intro, and they're gonna be stoked. You know what I mean? And so that's the innovation. So it's like that that's always the challenge. It's like, how much new new brand, new ground can you break? You know what I mean? And then, you know, how much can you still remind us that you're you? Um, so that that was the challenge with that record. And also, yeah, they they were experimenting with not going to john which was mm-hmm. a, a i think was like a just a let's try it you know like let's let's do something else we've done the same thing a few times like let's let's try something and let's let's see what happens and you know it's 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 a record that i think people look back on and really really like i've gotten a lot more feedback about that record Bizarrely enough, this year than I had gotten
1: in any year since.
0: Very wow.
1: Yeah, I think for the for the band and maybe for the fan, probably more so for the fans, it was a bit of a he- bit ahead of its time, um, which I guess explains why you're probably hearing more feedback, you know, positive feedback now. Um, uh, so we should play a song from that album, just because I like the band. <laughs> uh, should we play "Empty Review" as you mentioned it? Let's yeah, do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. So this is "Empty Review" by The Used. And so James has got lots of questions about pop stars for you in a minute, <laughs> but I've got uh, I've got one one question quickly. Um, I'm really keen to understand what. Um, are the major differences, if any, between working with the likes of the used Underoath, Panic at the Disco compared to the likes of One Direction Ariana Grande? Does Is it different in the studio or is it exactly the same? So it's really weird and it's part of why
2: I like my career path. It's because there are things about it that are fascinatingly similar where I'm just like, man at the end of the day like there's so many commonalities between how we feel when we're in the process
0: mm-hmm.
2: because i'm very process oriented and a lot of my producer heroes and songwriter heroes are very process oriented and it is it's incredible how similar we all are um and then there were you know there there are differences and there are um different standards and different levels of, of what the artists are focused on and care about. But, you know, the, the biggest difference, I think, is the involvement of the team, right? Whereas like when you're working with a band, there's still management, there's label, but like, you know, the band is also four people. Mm Five people like there's like an internal checks and balances that I get to be a part of too. And it's really, there's like a brain, you know, that's working the whole time where, you know, somebody walks in the room and you can tell they're not feeling that drum pattern. You just know it's a matter of time before they're going to say, I don't like that drum pattern and that you're going to have to go back and figure something else out because everybody needs to be happy where, In pop, you could have some internal checks and balances within the group, but definitely management label will be in my experience, much more heavily factored into Mm -hmm. those day-to-day conversations about what's happening stylistically with the project. And there will be much more pressure and much more, um, you know, collaboration there's it's the the weird thing about being a producer in both was learning that in pop there's much more of a team mentality and that it's okay Mm -hmm. like and that spun my head because i'd be working in rock and it's like i would never like call another rock producer to cut drums for me like somebody that i compete with like i would never like call them and be like, yo, I really like the way your drums sound. Like, can you do the <laughs> drums on the Panic record? And I'll just like, pick up the files like, oh, whatever. And then, cause then I would get faced with that situation and pop. Like, and I'd have a label be like, the songs of Smash, like, we just really want like dubstep in the second verse. And I'd be like, okay, so I'm, I'm like reading my dubstep manual. And I'm like, wow, and like, they're like, no. Like, we want you to go hire some like and I'm like, but I'm the producer. Like, with it, you want me to go get another producer? Are you crazy? You know what yeah. I mean? And like, my manager would be like, No, no, they're used to being able to say that, and they're used to people like you saying yes. I know this guy or that guy. Like, I'm <laughs> like, oh, like I had no idea that that was okay. That like I could still be a value and also bring in a teammate. I had never heard of that before. So the, the, the there were some process differences. There's some fascinating similarities between just like the way we, our brains process, like, oh, that doesn't feel right, or this doesn't sound right, or could you move this or tune that, or like whatever. We're all
0: very similar. Oh, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. Um. Did how what made so? What made you make the switch? Was it this curiosity you were talking about earlier? Yeah,
2: I think so. And I was also I was like, like, what else? What? Where can I go from panic? Like, what can I do? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, where will I? Where I'll have other bands. There's boys like girls. There's all time There's all that stuff. Sure. But like. You know that's still within a scene. Like, what? Where? Where else can I go? And I mm-hmm. just kept hearing pop songs next to my songs on the radio, and that, like, I got really addicted to listening to pop radio because I was like, oh my god, they're playing Panic.
0: Okay. Wow, oh, this is
2: crazy. And then I would hear like Justin Timberlake and Kelly Clarkson, and be like, oh my god, like pop producers and writers are taking more chances than my community and i was like
0: Uh, there's so much risk
2: in this music and i really like you know and and just to full circle it in our conversation right like when i first heard the clash and the pistols and stuff like that i was like wow they're taking risks like guitars out of tune Mm. it's still dope you know what i mean when i heard pop on the radio i would never really like listen to that much pop like like the like the pop that I listened to when I was growing up was not like contemporary pop. It was like, when I'm like listening to Prince and stuff like that, I'm listening to things that are like 10 years old. You know what I mean? Like this was the first time that I ever got into like contemporary pop. And I was like, wow, so much cool stuff. And so I chased it. And then I started getting like Ali and AJ was the first, first project where they were into the used. And so they wanted to do a track that kind of had that feeling i want to do something felt like kelly clarkson so it was like this perfect thing and that was what got it it got me introduced to disney and then i found out very quickly that all the disney and nickelodeon kids grew up listening to all-time low so then very very quickly it went from like ali and aj to selena gomez and then it went from selena gomez to uh some I don't remember exactly point to point, but I worked Demi and Big Time Rush and all these amazing, amazing kids. And then um, 1D uh, and Cher Lloyd came from my friend Savin, um, who was working on X Factor in UK. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was the vocal coach on the show, the Cher Lloyd 1D year. Okay. And he called Mm me. And he said there's an act over here, they probably won't be big in the States, but there's a lot of boy bands over here in UK that are big that you've never heard of, and it will be big over here and Simon really wants it to be guitar based, can you come over. And I was like sure you know like that sounds fun and um and uh it was uh it was one day he sent me one recording of them like backstage like routining something but they really had not done anything yet they were on the x-factor tour at the time you know how like the top 10 goes on tour yeah sure right so it was during that was during the royal wedding and um they flew me over and i i stayed at the royal garden Inn during the royal wedding and i was like this is amazing um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> whatever's so cool
0: <laughs>
2: so I'm like over there and they were like uh, we didn't really have anything so we set up in Tim Burns' office in the Sony Music office in UK it's Kitty Corner to Simon's office and me and Sabin set up a rig in Tim's office because Tim was over here uh, launching the X Factor USA Right. and so Up All Night was written in that office and it was me and Sabin. And for two days, it was called One More Night. Wow. And then Simon, uh, Sabin walked it over to Simon's. And and they were like, this is close. Like, this is close. <laughs> and then Sabin came back and he was scratching his head. And he was like, what if it's up all night? And I was like, that's dope, right? And I went back and redid all the production to be younger. You know, to be like more party. Um, okay and uh whatnot and so then it became up all night and then um we played for simon simon was like that's it and then we played the boys came back from the tour like two days later we played it for the boys and i remember Nile being like that's it that's our sound just like that and i was like Cool. (laughs) Great. (laughs) But um, yeah, so it was really that. And, you know, Tyler uh, at Psycho, I can remember specifically him saying, I'm so glad you're here because, you know, you worked on Panic and All Time Low. And that's very that's a very cool sound for these guys. They they were conscious of of the emo connection uh, right
0: there really that's really interesting that that was the sort of the thing on the what i don't know like vision board or whatever that they were using together to 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 market the band or, or things They're and you
2: know they had a vision board right oh, yeah like you know yeah. how that company works it's a, it's a machine and they were really it's a really they really good at what they do so you're exactly right that's what it was
0: yeah, because I um I, I I work in advertising, so I know exactly yeah. how that stuff works. Yeah, um, did how so so you do you feel like you that was them as as with panic kind of making their signature sound. Yep, and that's the thing that you by the sounds of things that really drives you with a lot of these artists.
2: That's what it is, and and a lot of times I'm out after that right not by choice okay just by like the universe or whatever right so it's like so it's like for 1d they just can't figure out a sound right
0: okay
2: i figured out a sound for them and then it quickly goes to the sweets. it's just what happened right? right i'm not saying like i don't even know like how that happens mm-hmm. right but at the time perspective is everything because then i go back across the pond and i'm like well i was told that that's only going to be big in uk so i'm like okay like what else is going on right and that's when wendy from universal called me about ariana
0: oh how interesting and that was that was her first song right the song you worked first album
2: first album album. and the um call was the same call and and it's It was, we're having trouble with the identity. We're having trouble figuring out how does she evolve from like a Nickelodeon, you know, sweetheart with like 3 million fans. is almost like a problem that she's so popular because everybody knows her and she doesn't want to be typecast. Like, how do we do it? And it was, it was trial and error. I mean, we cut so many songs that are unfinished or the Ariana record that were like, no, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, that's not, it. That's not- oh, X. that's it. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was a lot of trial and error. And um, that's, I've come to realize like, that's my thing, you know, it, it at least, or was, maybe it evolves, maybe my thing becomes something else, I don't know. But like, definitely the first big sort of chapter of my career has been that same theme like panic going like our identity is not right like how do we do this and i go oh, check out the spiel. you know like that's how you hit it you know what i mean like and like you know ariana it's like like how do we do this and it's like who are you you know like let's figure out what you like well i really like mariah carey and that's that's really what i like i that's what i that's what I want to do. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And we tried a million different things, but it's like, that's really what you wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, like the calling card for me as I look back in hindsight, really is identity, re-identity. If it's like under oath or the used, it still applies because it's like, how do we grow or neck deep? It's like, how do we grow? You know, like, yeah. Can you can you help us balance who we are with who we want to be you know like and this is largely what i've what i've been called on to do in music um at least so far
0: great let's um we definitely want to talk about the under oath record um because yep. we've both spent most of the day talking about how much we like it <laughs> but um first of all i think let's play a song let's play a pop song shall we play up all night sure. just for fun because we talked about it a lot sure. um, so yeah emo dad listeners please enjoy up all night by one direction
2: also which under oath record because i did erase me but i didn't do this new one
0: no uh, erase that, me yeah no we would want to talk about erase me because the point is is that we both missed it right like on. we hadn't realized it was a thing and then we were going through your discography and we we're both listening today and we were like this is really good and awesome. then I read online that it had got quite a lot of criticism for being a departure. Oh, yeah. And I was like, shut up. This is really interesting. It's
2: very <laughs> polarizing. It was a very yeah. polarizing album, which that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, and I I remember they did. Spe- I remember speed telling me that and also talking about it in interviews. You can find him talking about it in interviews, but he told me that from minute one, speed said, look, we very easily could make, you know, disambiguation again, or we could make loss again. And our fans would be so stoked for a month and be like, <laughs> my dudes. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. like, But that's, that's all it would be. And he's like, I think we need to take a risk, you know, and I think we need to, of course we love those fans. We want to make sure everybody's happy, but we also want to see what can happen, you know, radio and whatever. And you no, know, it was, it was really largely, it was pretty successful. Like it, it really was that vision. It really was speed's vision of like, it's a polarizing record. that mm-hmm. kept people talking about it. There was enough on there for older fans to really, you know, get into. And then there was a whole lot of new things that happened for them with really successful radio campaigns, a huge arena tour, you know what I mean? With Corn, I mean, and Alice and Jane.
0: Pretty cool.
2: Like, so, you know, really, really, and like, what an amazingly cool group of people. They're just like the coolest dudes on earth. We had so much fun making that record. I can't even tell you. There's not, there's not a moment where they're not being hilarious. I, I just, I've never seen it
1: before. There's such a family, it's
2: great. Really, really cool people.
1: So am I right in thinking that was like your you were kind of doing the pop stuff and then the under oath um album erased me was your kind of coming back to the rock to the rock side <laughs> to the dark side. Um yeah. is that is that right?
2: Yeah, and 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 consciously. So like I was living in LA uh throughout all the pop stuff. Towards the end of towards the end of it, uh like you know, 2014-ish, I was working um, with a lot of Max Martin's guys and Max, you know, too overseeing everybody. And um, and I I was like at this crossroads of like my Disney publishing deal was almost up. Everybody expected me to sign with Max. And um, we had had some informal conversations, but nothing like too too formal. But, you know, that was sort of like the chatter. It was like, do I sign to Max or do I, like, not? And I'm like, okay, if I sign to Max, I'm in L.A. forever. And it's like, it is what it is, whatever. But, like, I also have this other thing that I've always done in my career, which is the identity crafting piece. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, like, I felt like I'd be giving that up. And so... I was like I think I need my own studio again I think I need like to focus on my past which is like black t-shirt you know whatever like tattoos and like just my friends and and the kid that I was growing up and stuff like that and um you know and I also think I want to move out of LA you know what I mean And so all these things were kind of happening at once. And so when we moved back to D.C., it really was like, let me make rock records again. Let me take the pop stuff that I learned and kind of consider it graduate school, you know, especially for melody and vocal stuff, which I really didn't have that aptitude before I met those people. And let me apply it to some under oaths and and some stuff like that. So under oath was the first experiment in that and um, Amity Affliction soon after that Uh, and Amity guys were even more into pop melody craft and really really into it so
1: did those bands did they seek you out or did you seek them out with that kind of as you were going through that kind of uh, process of moving back to rock from pop were you looking for bands or were bands constantly coming to you how how does that work it was both, but
2: for undero specifically, that was Aaron's idea. Aaron, they had been talking to a different producer and it fell apart and Aaron called their manager, Randy, and was like, what is Matt Squire up to? And Randy was like, I don't know. I'll email him. And and we were on the phone. We were on a <laughs> conference call the next day and they decided on that conference call that they were going to record with me. Nice. That was amazing. I was like, Wow, that's very cool. So that was fun. That was Aaron. Um, Amity was uh, the label um, was Dave Rath from Roadrunner had me fly out to, um, I think Rock on the Range and um, just hang with the bands. and we just we were just cracking up from minute one, you know, just hit it off for minute one and just it was like, hilarious those guys are such good guys it's so much fun making those records and like they um you know they're funny it was it was good times so that was just chemistry for minute one also Aaron as you know is um is obsessed with the Baltimore Orioles my studio is about 20 minutes from the stadium so he was like
1: we're coming to you in the spring yeah, like perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, is there a, a do you have a particular favorite song from the Under Oath album? Um,
0: you know, I I, I like I like um,
2: I mean I like a lot of I like a lot of stuff on, on that record. Um i mean we could do we could do all my teeth and only just because my kids have a funny thing with all my teeth they just have their own version of it that is like food items <laughs> like, i got toothpaste on my teeth i got like donuts on my teeth and they like the first time they saw Underoath, they were like dad he's like screaming his head off is he okay <laughs> <laughs> they were so concerned about speed, <laughs> amazing, amazing. and so they all they when they when they imitate that kind of music,
1: yeah, let's enjoy that one then. So, uh, for those people listening who are fathers or mothers, um, play this to your kids and change the words, uh, when it's time to. To brush the teeth. This is On My Teeth by Underoath. Dental um, hygiene
2: was high on, high on our, our list when we were in America.
0: <laughs> Very important. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about something you mentioned earlier when you were talking about like the Underoath album and the Amity album being on radio. Because I think that's a bit foreign for us because we don't really have rock radio in the UK in the same way that it is um, in the US. Mm. So are those, are you aiming, and also I love the way you talked about albums earlier because like we're similar age and albums are a big thing for me. I love getting the body of work and I love starting at the beginning and finishing at the end and getting the whole thing in. Yeah. Are, you, are you still writing like that or do you have the singles in mind or is it both?
2: it depends you know like I think I think where my head is at at the moment and this changes from time to time but I think what I'm obsessed with at the moment is just like the way people actually listen to music Mm -hmm. versus the way like we listen to music you know what I mean because like I like I really want like to do my part to make people like feel you know to to give some to, to give people like an outlet to feel mm-hmm. like I, I think like my overall life standpoint is that as we lose the ability to freak out right we're not allowed to do it anymore and I, I don't mean freak out in a uh, angry way I mean mm-hmm. freak out in like a spill out of a bar at two o'clock in the morning village way and just say some stupid stuff right like our kids won't have this opportunity because everything will be on youtube right and so it's like you got fewer opportunities to just like release the pressure you know what i mean yeah this is bad for humans we're not built for that and so it's like more and more i've just been like well music's a great opportunity to give people that back Right. Mm. That even if it's online or however you experience it, even if you're just singing along in your car, how many people do you see in their cars who are like rocking out, they're going for it. They're, they're letting go. And that's good for them. So, you know, more and more of my perspective has just been like, how do you get people to do that? Whether it's a song or an album or like whatever, it's like how, because, because what thrills me about music isn't what drives most people who are not musicians it's different right like it's it's more pattern recognition and stuff like that and so i i've been more just thinking about that and so from that perspective um it could be a song or an album it could be like like, what I like about albums is, like, to your point, which is, like, you get to enter somebody else's creative space and you get to yeah. feel what they were thinking was beautiful and what they were thinking was scary. And that's amazing place to live. Um, what I like about songs is that you can make somebody, you can transform somebody's day. You can transform somebody's life with, like, one hook. You know what I mean? Right pretty fascinating like one lyric could actually like change somebody's entire vibe for the day because they feel understood and that's awesome yeah. you know so kind of both
0: amazing that um that feels like a really um inspirational place to end i think
2: <laughs> you know, i mean if there are a couple more questions i'm i'm chill I, I gotta you know probably have like another 10 if if
0: you guys want anything else um okay who um have what, what's your next thing that's coming out so um
2: i've been doing a lot of work with against the current um That okay. just just came out um and uh that's just something I'm excited about, not only um, because I love the music and I love the band, but we did the whole record online, which is. Really, oh,
0: wow. Well, like you um, locked down. Mm
2: hmm. Yeah. Um, and so like essentially in 2014, like I became obsessed with online recording for no reason. <laughs> Like, that was, just that was handy <laughs> right it's like the weirdest thing so like so like, yeah the last two years have been like an ass trip so like like in 2014 they made it possible for like if you made like a beat on GarageBand on your phone you could cloud it to your DAW like you could open right. it on Logic and I was like that's the coolest thing ever right because like I can have my portal you can have your portal and we can just like toss tracks back and forth and it's gonna be dope and i'll never have to wear shoes again and i'm like this is an
0: awesome.
2: <laughs> i built a whole platform around that uh, like a whole thing and i like i even went up to cupertino and like talked to GarageBand and logic about it and showed we had we had hacked an iCloud i was working with rascal flats at the time and we had hacked the iCloud so that it was like not my iCloud and not Joe Don's iCloud, but it was just like an iCloud, right? Okay. And so when I would update, he would get it. And when he would update, I would get it. And so the that word about that had traveled up to the GarageBand and Logic teams. They're like, we need to see that. So I went up <laughs> and showed them that. And I built like this whole thing around it. And um, by 2015, it was like, nobody was into this like like whatever you know so like i just sort of abandoned it and then last year uh you know when lockdown started it was like i went to ally my wife and i was like yo like (laughs) and i was working with against the current at the time and i'm like yo chrissy's going Home, like bands, you know, everybody's freaking out. We all think the world is ending, like, nobody's coming to the studio. And without skipping a beat, Ali was like, Why don't you light up your online thing again? Would that work? And I was like, I forgot about that. <laughs> She's like, You might want to unforget. And I was like, Yeah, maybe. So I hit up Chrissy and I was like, Yo, you want to try some whatever? online stuff and um and she to her credit she was like yeah she's like i'm freaking out the world's ending we need to make music you know what i mean like hell yeah so i'm like okay cool and so we just figured it out and i lit up some of the tools and then um i was working with another man at the time called the 555 and um we got really into it and two of the guys in that band are like coders and like we started testing stuff really heavily and um, we got so excited about it that we built tools for um, online collaboration and for live stream. And we started a company called Entangled Audio. And so now we have it productized where we're using this ultra low latency technology to record like, Super good sound quality. Everything sounds great, looks great. Like when I do online sessions, you can see uh, my computer screen and you can hear my audio in 32 bit, and it's like really, really fast. And then I can like, like against the current, we tracked all the drums in Florida, we tracked all of Christie's vocals in L.A. Like we just did it all through online stuff, and so. You know, that record uh, is, is point of pride uh, on a lot of levels just because I love a band and I'm so stoked that it's out, but it's also just the process was, it was so cool. And then and starting Entangled Tangled Audio with the 555 guys was, was really special these last two years as well because they're amazing people and, and we've got this amazing team where we like can build these tools that people just don't have. It's so cool.
0: Um, that sounds incredible and fascinating and we probably should be recording our podcast on it (laughs) it does it works
2: for that you know it does it's not necessary you know what I mean but you know for podcasts but it it does enhance it and it it really um you know the uh the sound quality is that much more enhanced the especially for music right like like for talk, like a lot of these apps and stuff are designed so like we can chat back and forth. Mm-hmm. They've really done a lot of pioneering for making that great. Um, the real weird stuff on the internet, the stuff that I understand why it doesn't work is like, the minute I try and play you music right now, it'll be a mess. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a mess. And I'm just like, this is so crazy. So like, that's why we, that was really the mission with entangled audio was like people shouldn't feel like that like there should at least be a solution out there like we couldn't find anything nothing we were trying to track vocals over the net and we like were cracking up because we were like this is so weird and i feel sick you know what i mean like yeah none, none of that stuff worked we were so blown away so it was like all right let's build something and then we figured a bunch of other people were building the same stuff and nobody was sort of like, okay, well, we'll sell it too. Okay. <laughs> it <is. laughs> yeah. But yeah. So gets current. That one's exciting. A um, couple of other cool things in the works. Uh, definitely always have fun stuff coming out.
0: Uh, amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um. We will put links to things in the description of this podcast. Awesome. Um, And let's, um, we we kind of, we normally play out with a song. Is there anything from that um, Against Current's record you'd like to play or a particular favorite song just we can kind of go out with? Sure. Yeah, there's, um, We Should Play Weapon. I really like that one.
2: That, That one, like, I don't know. There's just something really powerful about it.
0: Uh, amazing. Well, um, thank you everyone for listening. It's been a fantastic uh, interview with Matt Squire. Uh, I've been James, he's been another Matt, and this is um Weapon by Against Currents.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been thank so you, fun. Thank you so much for taking. Thank the time. you. It's
0: been really good fun.